0: All right, picture this. Imagine you are living in a time whenever there was no means of conveyance other than human power or horse-drawn or animal-drawn power, right? There's also boats and whatnot, but we're in a desert. That doesn't matter, all right? And as you're walking down the road, you see two men in the distance walking, and you can hear them talking. And as they're talking, they're discussing this concept about this man who had come, and they were super disappointed for some reason. You see, there was someone that they had been trusting in, that they had loved, that they had cared about, and then this man was killed, brutally. I'd like to say in front of them, but honestly, probably not, because most of his friends and family didn't go. These two probably weren't there, but they heard about it. And you hear them talking about how they were so disappointed because they had an understanding of what he was going to do. They thought this guy was going to come and save their people. They thought that he was going to overcome the brokenness of the empire that they were living under. He thought they were working, they were going, he was going to uh, destroy all of the things of the world that were causing uh, their people to be held down or held back. And instead of doing that, he died. And sure, there are some people saying they saw him again, but you know, all they know is his body is missing. And that's also horrible, right? They have no place to even go and just pay tribute to him. So they're walking down this road to a place called Emmaus. And you see them in the distance. And all of a sudden, you see someone else pop out behind them. Don't know where he came from. Don't actually see where on the path he came from. Just showed up. And you see this guy step up behind them. You can hear him ask, what are they talking about? Hey, what what are you two talking about? And they tell him. They say, haven't you heard what's been going on in the city? Haven't you heard about this person? And what he had said and what he had done. Haven't you heard about how we thought he was going to save everyone and instead all of the rulers killed him? So we're just lost. We don't know what to do. Then you hear this man say something interesting. He calls them foolish. He said, Oh, aren't you foolish? He says, Don't you know that man had to die so that his glory might be revealed? And then he starts to walk through the Old Testament. And he walks them through everything from Moses all the way through all the prophets. And he tells them more and more about how this person had to come and had to live and had to die. Not just to save their people, but to save the entire world. This is the story of the two men on the way to Emmaus. The two men who are walking along the path from Jerusalem to a city. And they are sad because Christ has just been crucified, and they've just lost him. And they don't know what to do. And then someone shows up and starts to explain to them just who he was and what he's done. And they walk through the Old Testament to do so. And they said that the entire Old Testament, that its main story was to proclaim Christ, who he is, and what he's done. And that is what we're going to be talking about today. As we move forward, this is our new sermon series we're starting. It says this. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And so we're going to be walking through the prologue to the Messiah, what the Old Testament teaches about who Jesus is and what he's done. And guys, it's a lot. There's so much of this, we're going to be running this series all the way up until Advent so we're going to be talking about the old testament what it says about Jesus and then we're going to be stepping into advent which we can see the actual fulfillment of some of those things happening and then starting next year we're going to be walking through the gospel of mark and we're going to be talking about what Jesus has done and how again he fulfilled a lot of these things the old testament said but also we can see even more than that because what we could see dimly in the old testament he makes fully known and apparent in his life so should be a good time over the next couple months i'm going to like it let's start off with this uh, We're going to start in the beginning. Now, who here thinks the world is perfect? Right? Who here thinks that at times the world is kind of a broken place? Like, I don't know if it's uh, just the current timeline, but it feels even more apparent than it has at some points in the past. Yes, sir. Kind Kind of broken. Sometimes I use this little bit of understatement, push some points right the world is a little bit broken right and we get to see the effects of this all over the place who here at some point has been touched by the brokenness of the world in their lives it's horrible right it hurts it's not fun The world seems like it's supposed to be one way, but at times it just turns out the other. It seems like people should be genuine and loving and kind to each other, but oftentimes we're not. It seems like life should triumph over everything, but it seems like death does quite a bit. It seems like uh, we shouldn't have to deal with the hurts and pains of bad health, of bad relationships, of the brokenness of the actual physical world around us, but we do. We have to deal with it on a daily basis. And we have to deal with our own brokenness, too, because, right, it's not just the outside of us that's broken, but we're broken people, too, right? Now, when you step all the way back into the beginning, you come to this story that talks about how the world began, and there's two primary things that the first seven chapters of Genesis are teaching, and that is who God is and why the world is the way it is, right? They're pointing that out because as you move closer and closer to Abraham, you get to see some of how God is going to fix some of the brokenness of the world. And this fixing of the brokenness starts to be proclaimed right at the time it's broken. So who here knows the story? Garden of Eden, right? There's Adam and there's Eve. And these two people are living perfectly uh, and wonderfully. They have no shame. They have no guilt. They have no brokenness. Death has not yet entered the world. Everything is as it seems like it should be, right? And then we broke it. They broke it. Once again, very much so human nature. Who here has had something pretty you like, and oh, you broke it? Who here has had a child? He's <laughs> checking. Because if you have, you know their nature is not to keep the things they love safe. We break them, Right? And the world was broken because of our actions. God said to do one thing. We said, eh, I kind of want to do something else. Sure, there was a serpent there who uh, may have tempted or enticed people to move in one direction. But it's really hard to be to something, to so, tempted towards something you don't want to do to begin with, right? If someone holds up in front of me a giant plate of Brussels sprouts, is like, hey, hey, you, I'm not going to move in that direction, Right? <laughs> It's like, oh, no, thank you. I'm heading back towards the wing section, wherever that is, right? So yes, they were tempted, but you can only be tempted to things you actually want. So they were moving in that direction already. It's what their nature was. It's what people's natures were. Our nature was not, at the time, to perfectly, as an automaton, obey everything that was said. Our nature was to question and try and make our own decisions and try and have our own will which makes sense because if we're made in the image of God we have to have some of these things right he's not an automaton if we're in his image we can't be either but we didn't use that image bearing quality to the best of our abilities we'll say as Augustine says they chose a lesser good it's not wrong yeah thanks Jake yeah I'm seeing you back there I'm throwing it in right to want to be like God and knowledge of good and evil is not necessarily and holy evil, but it is far less good than what he wanted for us. And in not being the thing that he wanted for us, and us especially doing something he called for us not to do, then it becomes evil, right? So we broke the world. One of the results of our disobedience was not just the fact that, oh, now we are shamed because, yeah, right afterwards they gained shame. All of a sudden they were like, oh, we're naked, we're going to run and hide, Right? Weren't ashamed of being naked beforehand, super ashamed of it afterwards. They were ashamed. They hid themselves from God. They felt a separation they didn't have before. And that separation was there. It was apparent. It was real. And not only were they separated from God, but then some other things occurred as well, right? Right? The world itself, the physical world, was broken because of this. You see, beforehand, thorns and thistles didn't rule. It wasn't hard work to bring fruit from the ground or bring uh, things to eat from the ground. It wasn't hard work to, uh, to labor. But following this, it became toil. It wasn't hard to reproduce before. Following afterwards, it became difficult to reproduce. It wasn't hard to live before. And following it, living is a struggle. We are fighting every day to survive. And death entered the world. And we'd like to say, darn it, Adam and Eve, for the thing you did and caused this to happen. But we all know deep down inside, we've done the exact same thing, possibly worse. Right? I probably wouldn't have just eaten the tree. I probably would have tried to burn it down because I like fire sometimes. (laughs) Sorry. True. But sorry, you guys saw me at the s'more night. I really enjoy fire. All right, anywho, I would not have done any better in the circumstance than they did. I can't really fault them too heavily for it because if I judge them for it, I'm in trouble. The world broke. Now, when the world broke, some things occurred. God cursed the land. Straight up said, the land is cursed because of you. Then he cursed the serpent, the one who had tempted them into evil, and said, you are cursed because of this. Strangely enough, if you actually read through, he doesn't curse Adam and Eve. Just going to toss that out there. But he curses the land and he curses the serpent, right? And there's this one little point when he's cursing the serpent. He says, you will crawl on your belly. Basically, you will not have the ability to strike anymore because snakes who are striking are not, they're sitting upright usually. You will be defanged because of this. And he also says this. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his foot, his heel, sorry. He tells the serpent that because of what has occurred, at some point an offspring of the woman would come forth and would destroy Satan and his works. And not only would that happen, but yeah, Satan would, in some way, shape, or form, cause harm to this person. But if you look at those, uh, like the disparity of those things, One of them is probably going to be in a little worse shape afterwards, right? Yeah. This is actually known as, in uh, theological circles, as the proto-evangelon, the first gospel. You see, this is the first time in Scripture you can catch a glimmer of the fact that something is happening far beyond just the little bits of things that we can catch on the pages. And here's what we actually first learn. We learn that from the beginning, God had a plan. He was not caught off guard by our sin, by our fallingness. He wasn't caught off guard by the fact that we uh, would choose to not obey him. He understood it, and he already knew how he was going to deal with it. He had a plan from the very beginning. And that plan he carried through all of history from the very beginning up until now. That plan is still ongoing. And this plan is going to walk through the Old Testament as we learn about it. As we move forward, we're going to step forward into some of the other ways we can see this plan. So we see it here. We see it again whenever we hear about uh, Abraham. We hear it again whenever we hear about Moses and David. We hear it again whenever we start to hear some of the words of the prophets. We hear it again whenever we see some of the ways in which the kings have their lineage preserved even through their badness and the rough stuff that happens. And we see the way that it points further and further down, narrows and narrows down more and more until you can start to understand exactly what it is God is doing this plan is not something that was just sort of constructed on the fly it was always in place he always had a plan now let's check this out he put enmity between her uh, the snake and the woman and between the snake's offspring and hers and that offspring will crush your heel your head and you will strike his heel right Whenever we step into the New Testament, whenever we move forward, we get to hear a little bit about what Jesus did through his death on the cross and his resurrection, right? In his death, he broke the power of sin, and in his resurrection, he broke the power of death. He overcame them completely. And in Paul's writings, we see things like this. It says, since the children have flesh and blood, Christ too shared in their humanity, so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. In Christ, he broke the power of sin and death and removed us from their fear of slavery to death. We don't have to be afraid of death anymore. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? We're not afraid of it because of who he is and what he's done. We know that death is not final. We know that whenever he returns, he will unmake death. He will destroy death. And life will reign. And that will reign with him we'll serve him we'll love him that's the promise that whenever he returns or whenever we go to him death will not reign in our lives we can have hope because of it that hope springs eternal right now in a separate section of scripture in Romans 16:20 yeah it talks about the fact that while this is something that Christ has done already. It's an ongoing process as well, too, that Christ is still in the process of doing it. What we saw in Genesis still has not been brought fully to completion. That will occur whenever he returns. It says the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Now, a really interesting process here. Who, who, is, who is he talking about? Who is the you in this? God will crush Satan under your feet. Under the church's feet. You see, we the church are part of God's plan. From the beginning, he has planned to use us to bring about this. It literally says there will be enmity between you and your offspring and her and her offspring, right? And we are the offspring of Christ. We are his sons and daughters. We're the sons and daughters of God because of it. So the enmity isn't just between Jesus and Satan. We are striving against Satan as well. Both in our own lives and in the lives of the world around us. We do this through love, through care, through compassion, through pouring out of ourselves to those who are in need, by seeing and seeking justice and mercy, and by demonstrating Christ to a world who needs him desperately, right? Sometimes we as a church forget that that's actually what we're doing. Our goal is to be like Jesus so that people can see how much Jesus loves them. Our goal is to be like him so people can see that he is worth being like. How often do we get caught up in the politics of the church, the brokenness of it, the politics of the organizational aspects? How often do we get stuck in the, uh, I have to be 17 things for the organization of the church to survive and function? If any of you know me, by the way, I'm speaking directly to myself right now. I like things being organized. Well, and so sometimes I focus so much on that that I kind of miss the purpose of what we're doing here. And that's this we partake in this plan with Christ. Now, consider this. Whenever Christ, that man who showed up at Emmaus's right on the Emmaus way with those two other men, whenever Christ came to them, he sat down with them and he taught them and he worked through the Old Testament with them and he showed them more and more what it means to recognize the fact that he is the entire point of existence. He walked them through it, and whenever he did so, they didn't know who he was at first, right? But at the end, their eyes were opened. They came to see who he was and recognized that they had known him, and that he was Jesus. See, there's this wonderful thing that happens whenever Christ opens your eyes. You get to see more and more about who he is and what he's done. Beautiful whenever he does it. But there's a point of it where we also walk forward in it. We learn and where we grow and where we listen. Right? But we're supposed to be like Jesus, right? Jesus found a couple of people wandering in despair, hurt, broken, worried about the world. What did he do? Well, A, He knew what they were talking about already, right? He was well enough accustomed or acquainted to them to know what's going on. By the way, I forgot to do this, I think. From the game Jesus has a plan. So what? Yeah, I should have had that up there beforehand. This is the so what section, everybody. All right. So what if Jesus had a plan? What does it matter for us? So Jesus, we're supposed to be like him. He heard and saw where these people were at. He understood the hurt and brokenness, what they were going through, and he answered appropriately, right? He didn't answer in a negative or bad way. He did point out some foolishness they had, and he pointed out their wrongness in different ways, but he did it in love, and he did it to show them that they can have hope. He offered them hope, right? In that hope, he reconciled themselves to what he was doing. He helped them be reconciled to who he was and what he had done through his life and death. And guess what? Since then, we know what it is to fear God. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we say we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. the righteousness of god oh sneaking ahead (sighs) the point of the church is not to be an awesome organization that does good works in the community that is part of the result of what we are the point of the church is not just to be a place where community reigns that is a result of what we are The point of the church is to go forth and proclaim Christ to a world that desperately needs him as much as we need him. We are all people who have been offered this reconciliation through Christ and what he has done. If you're a member of the church itself, the church big C, large, whole, church everywhere, universal, you understand this concept and you've been reconciled to Christ. And that message of reconciliation is in you. And it's to be carried to others who need it desperately, right? Guys, it's not for us. It's for the world. It's okay. The church is not for us. The church is for the world. This is who we are and this is what we do. So as you move forward... As you become closer and closer to Christ and as you step further and further into relationship with his body, the church, don't forget what we're here for. Don't forget the fact that we exist for him. We exist to proclaim his message, which is this. God made Jesus, him who had no sin, the perfect one, the one who had never in any way, shape or form walked against the will of God. The only one who could say that if he was in Adam and Eve's position, he wouldn't have eaten that fruit. The only person who has ever been perfect to be like a sin offering on our behalf. God made him who knew no sin to be like sin for us. So that we, those imperfect people, those broken people, those ones who don't deserve anything because we consistently with ourselves and with our hearts disagree and move away from who God is and what he's done, so that we may have what only Jesus deserves, which is right standing before God, righteousness before God. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus lived. That's why Jesus died. And that's why Jesus rose again, that we might have what only He deserves a right place before God. If you are right with God now, it is no way, shape, or form because of who you are and what you've done. It is because of who he is and what he has done. It's because what God was planning to do from the beginning of creation all the way through until today, all the way through until the world ends and a new world is created. You are the result of years and years and years of God's plan coming to fruition. And the things that you say and do matter to that plan. So as you go... Go in peace. Proclaim the peace of Christ over the world. Be loving and godly. Do not be dissentious. Do not be uh, argumentative. Don't go to harm. Don't seek your own good or your own gain. Seek the good of the world. Because in doing so, you're being like Jesus. Who gave up everything. For everything does that make sense right. we're going to take a moment we're going to pray we're going to step into a time of communion which is whenever we remember who christ is and what he's done so let's take a moment and pray lord jesus we thank you we thank you for the fact that you have been the plan from the beginning of creation, that you actually set the world into motion through your words, that you are the one through whom and by whom everything was created. And in doing so, you knew that you would be taking the steps that you took on that cross. We praise you for the fact that you have always planned on offering yourself for us, giving yourself for us, reconciling us to you through it. We praise you for your willingness to show such great love and such great compassion. And Lord, we pray that you would enable us to show the same. Lord, teach us what it means to follow you wholly and fully. Teach us what it means to be like you in the world. Teach us what it means to show love and grace and mercy and justice. To seek the things that are above as opposed to the things that are of the world. Show us what it means to further your kingdom every day. And Lord, make us more and more like you overcome our flesh, overcome our fears, overcome our minds and our hearts and the ways in which they don't point to you. Lord God, reign. Be glorified. We love you and we thank you. It's your name we pray. Amen. So
1: as we enter into a time of communion, excuse me real quick, <clears throat> I'm getting over a cold if you can't tell. If it makes you feel any better, I did not prepare any of the elements because I didn't want to get anybody <laughs> sick. But uh, also stand in front. Okay, let me go over here. <laughs> go this way? All right. <laughs> so we'll, we'll be Catholic for today. It's transubstantiation. It's all good. Um, but uh, when we enter into a time of communion, we recognize that Christ broke himself and he poured himself out. And this is part of the solution, right? As Chris talked about the plan. About being, uh, crushing Satan with the heel and the foot and things of that nature. This is also part of the solution that Christ brought. This is the life that we're supposed to be living a life that is broken and poured out for the world around us, seeing the suffering that's around us instead of running away from it, entering into it, bringing about peace, bringing about joy, hope, and love. And sometimes it's not in the radical way of martyrdom, it's not in the radical way of, you know, losing and dealing with death. Sometimes it's in the simple things. Sometimes it's when you're a college student working on a paper a security guard walked by and says, "Hey, we're uh, closing up in 10 minutes, you need to get out. But what are you working on?" "Oh, I'm working on this. Let's talk about it for a couple hours." Sometimes it's those little moments there that you get to see that glory of God happen, not being caught up in the legality of what it is to be a Christian, but being aware of when God is moving, like Christ upon the Sabbath when he heals somebody. They were worried about, "Hey, you broke the law. This is the Sabbath. You shouldn't be doing anything today." But here he is healing. He's recognizing the spirit when it moves. And we hear this in creation. The world is, you know, void, right? There's water and stuff that represents chaos. But what does God do out of that chaos? He makes land. He creates a foundation. So we are aware to hear the presence of God through the chaos of the world. Are we recognizing that the spirit is always present? And this is something that I think we lose out on because we become so used to hearing our faith, which is good. And it's a blessing that we can pronounce our faith and we can preach our faith. But it's important that we recognize that early on that Holy Spirit wasn't poured out to all those people. And we have that, that indwells in us. Christ literally indwells and is a part of us. So be aware of that. His presence is always moving. His spirit is always acting. It is in all things and is a part of all things. But The thing is, have we made ourselves blinded by saying, well, this is the Jesus that I want it to look like, or this is the Jesus that I want to worship, or are we allowing Christ to transform us? We must always keep that in mind that oftentimes we make Christ into the image we want him to be as opposed to him transforming us into the image that he is. So I ask as you step into communion, and we offer an open communion here at City Church, so whether you're Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, whatever denomination, we ask that you hold the principles of what Christ said that he was, that he had a virgin birth, that he was born that way, that he's fully God, that He is fully man, he always was and always will be, that he conquered death, but also that he lived a perfect life. We forget that. This is the part that we get to participate in Christ with now. It is yet to come. Eternity is yet to come, but we can enter into that now. We can see Christ in the brokenness of the world because you realize he goes into it and he mends it and sometimes him mending it isn't providing this perfect solution it's being open and transparent as well allowing people to see the brokenness in your life allowing people to see that we need christ just as much as they do and that he resurrected and he conquered that death and in doing so we'll return again if you believe those principles we ask that you participate in communion with us we do a method of having the communion up here um, with the bread already broken and that's actually grape juice so it's not wine. Um, but we have that there as well to symbolize that Christ presents himself to us already broken and poured out but there still is an action that we have to do you have to get up, you have to move he's always at the door knocking but are we going to be the ones that answer so I want you to reflect on the things that we talked about reflect on Christ's sermon ask yourself what are the simple things that you could be doing the simple moments where Christ is present that instead of saying this is how I should do things God what should I do in this moment so meditate on that, reflect on that and you're ready, please feel free to participate in communion with us